Well, good morning and welcome to Bridgewater. Yes, and happy Father's Day. What an awesome day. We're so glad that you are here. If I've not gotten a chance to meet you yet, my name is Tim. I'm one of the pastors here. And I just want to acknowledge that, that Father's Day, like Mother's Day, can be a challenging and difficult day for multiple reasons. You know, for some of you, your father has passed, and this is just a reminder of that. Or maybe there's a, a child in your life that they've passed, or there's a, an estranged relationship between you and your dad or you and your child. So I just want to acknowledge that today can be a difficult day, but even in that, we can experience the goodness of God, that our, our Heavenly Father has adopted us into His perfect family. And so I'm looking forward to seeing what God's going to do today. Um, today we are ending our series on mirror images. And uh, if you haven't been following us, uh, we've been spending five weeks. Week one, we talked about a worldview. Really, it's a lens that we put on, and we see our world through that lens. And we talked about our worldview being that God is our source for life, and his word is our authority for life. Then week two, we talked about how we are all made in the image of God. We all image and reflect the creator of the universe. Then week three, we talked about how God has created us, male and female. Then last week, we talked about this idea of holy sexuality, all right? So today, um, we're talking about something, and we're, we're landing this plane. We're talking about marriage, and this past week, I went on Amazon, and I just decided to do a quick search. I, I searched marriage and to the search bar and just hit go, right? And decided, okay, how many books have been written on marriage? I want to find out. There was over 100,000 books, not chapters, 100,000 books. I think I maxed out Amazon on that search, right? On marriage. And then I thought, huh, I wonder how many books have been written on singleness. Typed in singleness, go, over 100,000 books on singleness. I didn't know there was that much to say on singleness. And then I looked up dating, dating, go, 50,000 books on dating. That's a lot of dating advice. And I thought, hmm, I wonder how much has been written on divorce. Divorce, go, 50,000 books just on the topic of divorce. That, all of that, along with a lot of other observations, has led me to believe that our society really wants deep, meaningful companionship, and we stink at it. We have no idea what we're doing. We're so far removed from God's design. How did we get there? Now, maybe you're here and you're single and you're like, great, another sermon on marriage, right? Maybe you're here and you're married and you love being married. Like, it is awesome. It's amazing. Maybe you're here and you're married and, and you've gone through the peaks and the valleys and God has brought you through that and he's radically changed and transformed you and your marriage. But I bet there's some of you here and you've gone through your marriage and, and you've faced betrayal, hurt, and you've experienced all sorts of wounds and it has been hard and you are hanging on right now. You're at the tipping point where you're just not even sure if you want to be in this. It feels like it's gone sour and you have no idea what to do. 
So what does God's word say about singleness? And what does God's word say about marriage? And what is his design for that? That's what we're going to talk about today. So if you have your Bibles, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Paul is writing to this church in Corinth. It's a big, messed up church, right? A melting pot of religions and cultures and societies. And people have been coming to know Jesus out of this culture, and he's radically transformed their lives. And he is saying, okay, here's how we live our lives. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, I'm going to start reading in verse 7. This is Paul writing to the church, and he says, I wish that all of you were as I am. But each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. Now, to the unmarried and the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried, as I do. Kind of interesting advice, Paul. Thanks. (laughs) Paul was married at one point. I believe Paul was married at one point. That was really big in the Jewish culture. In fact, uh, many Jewish rabbis taught that if you weren't married, you really weren't even a real man. So, ouch. And he would have been married at some point. His wife either passed away or maybe she left him when he became a follower of Jesus. It doesn't really, really tell us. But at the point of, his, of this writing, he's single. And in Paul's singleness, he's saying, I wish that all of you were like me. I wish you were single too. Why? He's saying singleness really should be seen as a gift. Now, last week we talked about marriage being a gift, right? And and you were here, and if you were single, you're like, thanks, what does that have for me? It's this amazing gift. But here, Paul is saying not only is marriage a gift, but singleness and marriage are both good gifts from God. Now, here's, here's the temptation. That if you're single, you can look at the lows of singleness and compare it to the highs of marriage and go, that's what I really want. The other side is true too. If you're, if you're married, you can look at the lows of marriage and you can compare that to the highs of singleness and go, that's what I want too. Both of those temptations are equally dangerous. And I want you to see that both singleness and marriage are both good gifts from our creator. He's designed that. And some of you are single and it's, it's a season of your life. Maybe not the entire of your life, but it will be a season. It'll be a short part. Of it. I know we cover the whole map, right? We have people who are in their 20s and 30s and they're single. We have people in their 40s and 50s and they're single. And we have some of you, you're single again. Maybe your spouse has passed away Maybe you've gone through a divorce and you find yourself in this season. And I'll tell you, Paul is saying it is both good, singleness and marriage. He's not saying singleness is easy and marriage is better. He's saying there's a contrast between complexity and simplicity. Now, as you hear that, I'm not saying that your life is simple just because you're single, all right? We're going to get to that. Here's what Sam Alberry says. He says, the issue is not whether this path or that is better, whether singleness or marriage would bring me more good. 
Here's the issue. Remember we talked about Sam Alberry last week. If you weren't here, he's a single pastor in the UK, wrestles with same-sex attraction, has chosen a life of singleness. He says, the issue is God and whether I will plunge myself into him, trusting him every day. In your singleness, can you trust God every single day? Now, by single, I simply mean you're not married. You may be dating someone. You might be engaged. You might have, like, a friend. We all know what that means, right? You're, you're dating. You just don't want the title. But you're single. And the question is, can I trust God with my singleness? Can I really see it as good? If it's really a good gift, do I have that perspective that it's his goodness? Well, let me show you why it's good. Paul elaborates on that. Verse 32, Paul says, I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or a virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. <clears throat> what Paul is saying is if you're single, you simply have an opportunity to have undivided devotion to the Lord. Doesn't mean you have more time. It simply means you're not married. You don't have a spouse. But you may have kids. I recognize that may be in your life. And you do need to devote time to your kids. And you do need to devote time to your work. And you do need to devote time to other responsibilities and maybe you're here and you wish you had a spouse. But what Paul is saying is that your time is different. That me, I, I'm married. And Paul's saying when he was married, he spent time devoting that to his wife. And a wife would spend that time with her husband and thinking about her husband or thinking about his wife. And he's saying, you don't have that. And I know it's something that you desire. But in his goodness... In his grace, in his mercy, in his sovereignty, he's saying, look, you can live in a way with undivided devotion to the Lord. So how do you use that time? How do you use that singleness? Maybe it's just for a short season. Do you have the perspective that this really is a good gift? Singleness is not the absence of certain things, but the presence of certain things. And it's easy in our Christian culture to elevate marriage as if it were the goal. It's easy in our Christian culture and in churches to elevate marriage and make it an idol and think, you know what, I just got to get married. If you're single, you probably have heard people, have you met anybody yet? You dating anybody yet? And if you are dating, when are you guys going to get engaged, right? Church, that doesn't help are single people. It gives them the idea that, well, I just got to find somebody. 
I just got to get engaged. And if I just got married, then I will arrive. That might not be for everybody. Singleness is a gift. But it's not like this superpower that you receive. He's saying the exact season of life, the state of being single, that in and of itself is the gift. And God wants to work in and through your singleness. Marriage should not be idolized. Marriage should not be the goal of the Christian life. It's, I want to devote my life to Jesus. And if I'm single, how, how do I do that? If I'm married, how do I do that? If I'm dating, how do I do that? If I'm engaged, how do I devote my life to him? Some of you have more time, less time, but are you using the time that God has given you to really seek him, to live after him, to make him the center of your life? It's not wrong to be wanting a spouse, but if I want to be married so badly that that begins to consume my thoughts, that's all I think about is I gotta find a husband. I gotta find a wife. I gotta meet someone. I gotta hurry up. There's this clock that's ticking. And if that begins to consume my thoughts, maybe I'm making that an idol. And I need to check my heart. Do I want this so badly that I am spending all my time thinking and worrying about my relationships. Again, it's not bad to desire marriage. It's not wrong. It's a good gift. But like anything, I can want it so much that it begins to take over my thoughts, begins to take over and rule my emotions. I begin to idolize it. So how do you reconcile that with God making marriage as good and also saying singleness is good? Well, let's talk about marriage. Let's talk about that design for marriage. Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus and in the book of Ephesians, he starts walking through the first three chapters. He begins to lay out, okay, this is who you are as a follower of Jesus. This is who you are in Christ. And then chapter four is the hinge chapter. He moves from this is who you are to how do I live that out, all right? So Ephesians chapter five, we'll start reading in verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So we're just gonna camp out here, right? This is for everybody, everybody. Paul is saying if you're a follower of Jesus, there needs to be submission, to other believers, no matter their age, their sex, their race, their social status, how much money they make, submit to one another out of a reverence for Christ. Put Jesus in the center of your life, whether you're single or married. Make Jesus the focal point of everything that you do. And out of that, let that impact your singleness. Let that impact your marriage. So that's, that's for everyone. I know that word submit can start sending off all sorts of bells and whistles and like, what are you talking about, Tim? Let's go on. Here's what Paul says. Verse 22, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. His body 
of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Now, some of you ladies probably heard that word submit several times, and all you heard was, wah, 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 right? <clears throat> Hold on, okay, before you throw any tomatoes or rocks at me, let's unpack this a bit, all right? This idea of submission flows out of verse 21. I want to make Jesus the focal point of my life. I want to make him the center of my entire universe. And everybody should be doing that. But it's not submitting to your husband as if he is the Lord. That's not what Paul is saying. He's saying, wives, submit to your husbands out of a reverence for Jesus, out of a love for Jesus. It's not whether someone is smarter or someone is more deserving. We find this idea of submission in the Trinity, that Jesus actually submits to the will of the Father. So if Jesus, who's pretty high in my mind, is submitting to the will of the Father when he goes to the cross, is that a good thing or a bad thing? It's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. Now, it can be twisted, it can be manipulated, and it can be taken advantage of and abused. And I've seen that in a lot of marriages where men willingly, knowingly, not really all with it, I, I don't know all their motives, but take God's word and they begin to just hammer people with it. and say, well, no, you're, you're the wife. You're going to submit. You're going to do what I say. And they distort God's word and they abuse it. That's not what Paul's saying. He's saying there really should be a mutual submission going on here. Jesus submits to the Father. That's our example. It's not saying, ladies, you ought to be a doormat for your husband. Remember, remember how God created women? In Genesis chapter 2, we won't go read this because we read it the last four weeks, but Genesis chapter 2, Adam is there and he's looking for a suitable helper and the animals are all lined up and he's looking for a helper and he's like, not you, not you, not you, definitely not you, no helper. So God puts Adam to sleep, takes one of his ribs out, creates a woman, Eve, and he realizes this is my helper. She is suitable to help me. God created a helpmate. God created a partner. And that word helper is the idea of completing, complementing. Someone who comes alongside, and we see that word helper used 14 times in scripture in reference to God, that God is our helper. The Holy Spirit is our helper. So that's a good thing that God created this woman to help Adam. Adam, the man, needed help. He needed someone to come alongside and bolster him and strengthen him and be that person who he could fit with. That's what God is doing here. God's not saying, you know what, guy? I got a lot of big tasks for you. We need someone to go make you a sandwich. 
God's not saying, hey, I, I got this massive garden I need you to take care of. We need someone to do Adam's laundry. He's not saying that at all. He's saying, Adam, you're not all that, buddy. You need some help. Let me find you. Let me make someone. Let me craft someone just for you to come alongside and compliment you and help you that you can do life with. That is God's design. There are not subservient roles being woven into this text. This is a helpmate. Come alongside Adam. Be his partner. Be his companion. And here's the reason. Husbands, men, you are called to be the leader. One day, guys, you will give an account for how you led your wives, for how you led your kids. This is not a dictatorship, men. You are not ruling your house with an iron fist. Talking about servant leadership. Here's poor leadership. Husband who is proud and arrogant. Guys, that is poor leadership. No accountability. The buck stops with me. No one is going to tell me what I'm going to do. I'm just going to make all the decisions. Nobody will ask me any questions. Never. Not a chance. Poor leadership, guys. I'm going to make all the decisions by myself. No counsel. Not going to ask her. Not going to ask my friends. Won't ask any of my pastors or my small group leader. I'm just going in. I'm going to expect others to serve me. I'm a pretty big deal. I don't know if you know this. But I'm a big deal, right? He's selfish. He expects others to change first. This is poor leadership. This is not what Paul is saying. Here's biblical leadership. Filled with humility. Welcomes accountability. Hey, where do you see some blind spots in my life? What do you see in my life that needs to change? Ask me these hard questions. Here's where I know that I'm going to fail. Here's where I know I'm going to face temptation. Here's where I know I'm going to struggle. Ask me some questions and follow up with me. Seeks counsel before making decisions. Asks his wife for valuable input. What do you think about this? Hey, hey, we're looking at making this purchase. Hey, we're looking at making this shift. Hey, we're looking at doing this. What do you think? Surrounds himself with other men who love Jesus. Hey, what do you think? I'm trying to figure this out. Serves others, focused on others, willing to change first. Whether you're married or single, guys, this is what Jesus is calling you to. Ladies, you're looking for a boyfriend, you're looking to date someone, you're looking for a husband, this is the list, okay? You find a guy that meets all these qualifications, send him to me. He's no good. I don't care what kind of job he has or what kind of car he drives. It's not worth your time. So if you're single or you're married, God has design for that. Ladies, look for a guy that looks like this. Guys, strive to be this. Now, is it, ladies, is it easy or hard to follow this guy? Easy. Easy or hard to follow this guy? He's a pain in my neck. Get him out of here. Men, we're called to be like Jesus. If you are married or one day hope to be married, 
This is what he wants for us, a servant leader. But notice what he says next in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church, for we are all members of his body. Men, called to love our wives the same way that Jesus loved the church. Your marriage is supposed to be a picture of the gospel. Jesus laid down his life, sacrificed, died for the church, died for, by the way, the bride, sacrificed, that's the call. That's a high calling. So how are we doing with that? Guys, one day we'll give an account. One day we'll stand before Jesus and we'll say, this is how I led my family. This is how I led my wife. Men, do you love your wife the same way that Jesus cared for and loved the disciples? Just think about the difference between a servant leader and a selfish leader. Imagine you're at home, just pretend like the kids are fighting. It probably never happens in your house, but the kids there, they're fighting, right? The TV's on, uh, they want to watch a movie, they're arguing what they're going to watch, and you're there, you've just had a long day of doing 15 hours of something that is grueling and draining. What do you do? The selfish leader simply wants peace and quiet. What does the selfish leader do in that moment? There's not two kids, there's three kids, and they're fighting, the noise is getting all amped up. Well, one of the things he might do is yell and scream because he wants peace and quiet. And, he, and he's worked a long, hard day. He just wants to sit on the couch crack open a beer, and you are bringing up the noise volume, and he just wants to shout and say, be quiet. What does the servant leader do? Well, one thing he might do is see this as an opportunity to talk to his kids or invest in them and say, hey, Tom, come on over here, guys. What, what's going on? They might not listen. They're kids. But we want to start teaching them, hey, we solve problems by having conversations, not by fighting we solve problems by talking to each other, not by punching each other in the face. And you might have that conversation a million times. And one day it might click for them. The servant leader is going to take that as an opportunity to go, okay, I've had a long day. I've got a migraine. I want peace and quiet. But how do I interact with my kids? Do I love them like Jesus loved the disciples? Or am I going to yell at them? Men, you're called to be the spiritual leader too. He says you're going to present your wife and you're supposed to wash her with the word. Spend some time reading the Bible with your wife. I know she can read. She can read too. You guys can read it together. 
you can read a very short passage, three verses, and just talk about it. Today, you can talk about the sermon. That's spiritual leadership. Making sure you and your family are here on church, that's spiritual leadership. Making sure you guys are serving somewhere, that's spiritual leadership. Making sure you guys are giving, that's spiritual leadership. And he says, verse 31, he says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become, what? One flesh. That, that, that's part of God's design. They will come together, and they will be one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. Again, he's talking about Jesus, the groom, and the church, the bride, laying down his life for the bride. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself. The wife must respect her husband. Oh, there's one of those words, respect, submit. Bells and whistles going off. But looking, look, listen, we're talking about God's design here. God is calling men to be servant leaders, and he's calling the wife to follow her, submit, and respect. Those are all tall orders for all of us. And when we play our roles well, it comes together the way that God designed it. I recognize not all men lead well. Some of you might be married to jerks. Some of you might be married to men who don't love Jesus. And some of you might be married to men who are downright abusive. And in a room this size, I recognize that might be your story. I am not giving you ladies permission to go back home to an abusive home and endure abuse physically, emotionally, or spiritually. I'm not giving you permission to run to the courthouse, but get help. Come talk to somebody, one of our leaders, a small group leader, a lady that you know will hear your story and hold that in confidence and not get on Facebook or Twitter and tell everybody. <clears throat> it breaks my heart because I know there are ladies. I know that probably one in three women found that, find themselves in that relationship where it is abusive. And it's wrong. It is sinful. Men, if that's you, cut it out. Now hear me. Some men use their size and strength to bully and abuse. Some women use emotions to manipulate. If that's either of you. That is not the model or the design that Jesus has laid out for us. So what do I do? Maybe you're not married to an abusive man, but you're married to a guy who doesn't love Jesus. How do I, how do I submit to him? How do I respect him? He's, he's never hit me. He's kind, but he's not following Jesus. He's not doing godly things. I would say one way, watch your words. Don't go out of your way to insult him. Don't give him the cold shoulder. Engage with him. Talk with him. Because your words can be kind and edifying or they can be sharp and hurtful. But remember, here's, here's the big idea. Singleness and marriage are both good gifts from God and we need to treat them as they are good gifts from God. Whether you're single or married, whether you're a man or a woman, see that. 
that singleness as a good gift from God. If you are married, see that as a good gift from God. Treasure that. But there's two ways that we misuse these gifts. One, single people living as though they're married. Some of you are single. You're not married. Maybe you're dating. Maybe you're engaged. Maybe you're not. And you're sleeping with your boyfriend or your girlfriend or you're sleeping with somebody. You just hook up and you're, you're playing a game. And it's dangerous. It's outside of God's design. Remember last week we talked about any sexual activity outside of God's parameters is sinful. Remember the goal is holy sexuality for all of us, whether you're single or married. But next, married people living as though they're single. What do you mean by that? Well, what I mean by that is a husband not doing the work of a husband. A husband, maybe after a long day of, of doing whatever it is that he does, comes home, sits on the couch, cracks open a beer, and plays video games for the next five hours. Doesn't serve his wife, doesn't help with his kids. He's living like a dude living with his mom. <laughs> living like a single guy. Bro, you're married. You have a spouse. Time to be a man. Okay? Doesn't mean you can't play video games with your kids if that's what you like to do. Five hours is a little excessive, okay? Time to throw the Minecraft out. A woman who's married, not living as if she is a married woman. Not, not living out that design. A wife who's not doing the work of a wife. She speaks poorly of her husband. She's sharp. She's insulting. She's living as if she's a single person, throwing her husband underneath the bus, being critical. Both parties need to go, okay, I'm married. It's a gift from God. I can't misuse that gift. So what? Well, what do we do? Well, if you're single, I would really encourage you to, to take that perspective and go, okay, I'm going to view this season of life as a gift. God in his grace and his mercy and his sovereignty has put me here and is using all things to shape me and mold me to the image of Jesus. I need to remind myself that your singleness, my singleness, if that is you, is in fact a gift from God. If you're living as if you're married and you're single, you need to repent. You need some accountability in your life. You need to do some work. Talk to someone. Figure out your plan before you leave here. If you're married... Men, I want to help you lead well. So here's your assignment, men. Make a list of everything that Jesus does in the Gospels for the disciples and start doing that for your wife. And that could be a good assignment for anybody. But if you're a man and you want to lead and you want to love your wife well, read the Gospels over the next few weeks and start making a list of what does Jesus do for his disciples Start doing that. Women, if you want to start playing your, your role better, make a list. You're married. Okay, what am I thankful for? What is my husband doing well? And start making that list. If you find yourself being critical or unthankful, start making that list. Now, again, that can be a, an assignment for a man or a woman. All right? Maybe you're a man and you're critical of your wife. 
make a thankful list of what your wife is doing well and then let them know those are two things that we can do as husbands or wives. Read the Gospels. How does Jesus love the disciples? Do that. Make a thankful list. Identify what you're thankful for. Identify their strengths and let them know. And if you're single, see your gift as exactly what God has created it to be. Let me pray with you. God, you are amazing. And I know that today is an incredible day. Uh, people are celebrating. They're happy. Uh, it's a fun time to be with their dad. And it's also a time where they're maybe mourning the loss of their dad or mourning the loss of a child. <clears throat> For some here, they're single, and it's, it's been a battle. It's been a struggle, not just with temptation, but with the desires and wants and hopes to be married. I know there's marriages here that are just they're struggling too. It's been a challenge for them. And they're trying to figure out how to do this well. And I just want to lift up all of the relationships here. The marriages, the datings, the friendships, all of that. That you would help us to walk into those relationships and really put you at the center of our lives. We thank you for all that you're doing. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.